Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It is the 24th of August, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge, your host here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for the privilege of sharing some time with you today. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is Proverbs 22:16. Depending on which translation you read it in, um, you're going to see this proverb in two different ways. And so uh, let's read it in the version that it was sent out to all of us on email, and that is this, a person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Um, so the parallel that is created here actually in the Hebrew is a person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor is basically then oppressed by those who are richer than them and therefore will end in poverty. And so um, both are true. Right. I mean, the wisdom holds either way. A person who tries to get ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Um, Maybe not material poverty, but certainly a spiritual poverty. And as the Hebrew holds, a person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor will then find themselves oppressed as poor by those who are richer than them and will thus also end in poverty. I think it's fair to say God hates human oppression. Um, And it's not God's desire that we should live Um, impoverished because of the oppression of others. Oppressing someone who is weak or defenseless or in a state of need that renders them willing to do just about anything to feed their children or get medical help or escape the kind of horrors that we read about in Judges 19 or the headline news. Yeah, that's oppression that God hates. And those who advance themselves by oppressing the poor in all kinds of ways end in what Solomon describes here as poverty, because there is always someone more rich and more powerful advancing themselves by oppressing the oppressor. So what Solomon is describing is a vicious cycle of greed and power, where the strongest oppress those who are weaker than themselves. And there's literally always someone higher up on the proverbial food chain in a dog-eat-dog world. But God does not want us to live in that way because we are not, well, dogs. We are image bearers of the living God. And God desires that we would live as human beings with the fullness of that dignity and honor. So while I acknowledge that the headlines are full of evidence that oppression continues in many forms here at home and around the world, I also acknowledge that in his wisdom um, and in his grace and to his glory, God has provided for us a better way, the gospel. And so let's live as redeemed people today in a world that is um, groaning in eager longing for man's redemption. A couple of groaning headlines um, this morning. I tee these up so that you and I can be um, praying for these people and toward these situations today that God would shower down redemptive grace. So uh, today is, should be, 
being celebrated in Ukraine as the 31st anniversary of their independence from Russia. Instead, um, people in Ukraine will not be gathering today to celebrate uh, independence, but mark the sixth anniversary, uh, sixth month anniversary of Russia's war. And the U.S. and others are warning that Russia may step up, eff- ste- step up efforts, excuse me, to launch missile strikes on Ukraine today. Um, in Arkansas, three law enforcement officers have been relieved of duty until further notice after a cell phone video shows them using um, extreme force on a suspect. It is hard to describe what takes place in the video They are kneeling on him, um, punching him, kneeing him, smashing his head into the pavement. Um, It's hard to imagine what uh, what happened prior to this that led these officers um, to respond in this way. But it is safe to say that this response is not acceptable. Um, So uh, the local U.S. attorney's office uh, has opened a federal civil rights investigation in Arkansas. Governor Hutchinson has acknowledged that the actions in the video are reprehensible. Um, obviously we're going to wait to see the, and hear the whole story, but, um, also suffice to say, this is inappropriate treatment of another human being. And so uh, lift this up in prayer as well. All right. We are going to survey several, um, well, some headlines, but really deeper conversations with Jeff Bilbro. This is like the worldview part of, um, of our conversation here today. And I want you to think about education. And I want you to think about what the purpose of education, particularly higher education, is today. Like, what's the point? Is the point just getting more and more degrees that we could further ourselves toward, I don't know, better and better opportunities? Are we just opportunistic or is education supposed to be about something else? We're going to talk about the art of choosing what to do with your life. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeffrey Bilbro is associate professor of English at Grove City College. He's also the editor of the Front Porch Republic. Um, We like to follow what he posts in something called the Water Dipper at frontporchrepublic.com. And we're going to be talking about some things from the Water Dipper today. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right. So the art of choosing what to do with your life. I read it in the New York Times. I also heard Benjamin Story interviewed on another Um, radio program. And I thought, I want to talk to Jeff about this. So what is the art of choosing what to do with your life versus the kind of education that we are offering to most students in America today? Yeah, this is a good, good essay. And and the stories do good work on these kind of, as you put it, the, the questions about what's the purpose of education? Because so often, education is just a stepping stone to the proliferation of choices and opportunities, right? We think if you get a college degree, then you'll have more and better opportunities, whether those be career or social or, um, you know, ones that are kind of fulfilling yourself. But they say that oftentimes students get jump through all these hoops, they climb the ladders, 
And then they think, what, what is the point of proliferating choices? Because I haven't really learned yet how to, um, how to orient my life. You know, what are the standards that I should use to, um, to, to make these choices? And maybe the real burden of education is not to give students lots of choices, but to give them good choices, right? To give them uh, the good to pursue and the tools that they need to to make those choices. Um, you know, to, to in Christian terms, yeah. to know how to love God and how to love their neighbors. So this is a you know, they try to, to to cast the net a bit more broadly in this essay and, and talk about. Um, the good of the soul, virtue, um, but but also, yeah, our, our need to know how to uh, love and serve God. So it's advocacy for um, for classical education, for sure. It's certainly advocacy yeah. for a general liberal arts education. It also made me think um, about the entire approach we take to, like, resumes and CVs, because yeah. all those are intended to be is a, a, a list that's, you know, supposed to be like this ever um, progressively higher and bigger and better um, list of achievements, you know, mountains we've mountains we've conquered professionally or whatever, which just feeds back into this um, uh, this idea that my life is just supposed to be a series of, you know, ever greater opportunities that I have, you know, taken advantage of. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, David Brooks has that contrast between resume virtues, which are, you know, the achievements you've created or, or uh, accomplished, and eulogy virtues, um, and invites us, challenges us, I think in the same vein as this essay, to prioritize the eulogy virtues more highly. And I think that's a helpful perspective in thinking about what really matters in life, um, because it's not often what what our educational institutions value and uh, form students to value. There's more, um, there's more here to till professor. So, um, yep. you know, I would, I would definitely say circle back around on this topic every time you can. Um, let's take a very brief pause. And then when we come back, I want to um, look with you at something that you have written in the Pittsburgh post Gazette on no more normal, how to live after the COVID apocalypse. Are you wondering what things we should be keeping from COVID and what things we should be um, releasing, <laughs> releasing back and then reclaiming. That's the conversation next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Jeff Bilbro's opening a couple of sentences in a piece in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette called No More Normal, How to Live After the COVID Apocalypse. Here's the open. COVID was a kind of apocalypse. It changed our world suddenly and radically and permanently. Apocalypse means to unveil or to reveal. What has been revealed and how ought we to live now post-apocalypse? Jeff, um, what, what did you... Um, what did you observe here about the things that we learned during COVID that we should um, retain 
um, places that, you know, we learned about ourselves and the world around us that we want to retain. And then those things that, you know, we want to move away from and back to the kind of normal we had prior to COVID. Yeah, I was thinking about the, this phrase at the conference the Front Porch Republic is hosting next month has as its theme, the art of recovering lost goods. And so I was thinking about how um, some of those some of those goods um, we did recover in the early days of COVID. I remember taking a lot more walks uh, around our neighborhood and seeing more neighbors out and talking to them. Um, I already baked bread, but you know we did more baking and cooking at home, which was uh, something we enjoyed doing. Did more gardening, uh, more involved in uh, our child's education. So I think there were a lot of good things about those early days. Um, and now that opportunities have picked back up and life has kind of resumed its rather busy rhythms, those are uh, in danger of falling by the wayside. And I don't want to, I don't want to lose them because I think they were good. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, as you say, there were other things that we did lose uh, in the early days of COVID. And uh, now that, that they're available again, I want to invest in those uh, with renewed appreciation for them. Things like going to church, uh, singing. You know, I think I never appreciated the simple joys of singing with others so much as I did when we were finally able to take our masks off in church and uh, you know, let, our, let our voices resound together. Such a great gift that maybe I took for granted before but now have a, a deeper appreciation for. So those kinds of in-person gatherings, I think I cherish in a new way um, post-COVID. Yeah, so going to weddings and funerals is something that you know, yeah. going to in-person worship. I would add to that list um, being able to be with somebody I love when they are in the hospital. Yeah, I mean, that separation, yeah. that that division, that pain, that grief, um, I don't... I. I don't, you can't recover those, um, and you can't restore those, those broken places. It's really, those are just devastating. And we learned a lot. We learned a lot about our need for one another um, in the midst of it. You use this guy, Chris um, Arnade. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, and his book, Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America, as a, you know, as an exemplar of all of this. Can you um, tell us a little bit about Chris? Tell us his story. Yeah, he's a really fascinating guy. He was a, you know, PhD, I think, in physics or something, um, got a high level job on Wall Street and was working there during the 08 financial crisis and um, making a lot of money. But he realized he he sort of felt um, guilty about the way that his industry caused economic pain and devastation to a lot of people and then kind of well, did get bailed out, and, and a lot of the people that he worked with, including himself, didn't really suffer for um, the, the damages that they were at least partially or largely responsible for. And uh, so he started, he wanted to change his behavior. And so he started walking through areas of New York uh, that people told him don't go to and going through the neighborhoods where, uh, you know, poor people lived and just getting to know these people, seeing their values and attitudes, seeing their struggles, seeing their resilience and their dignity. That's the the word that he uses to title his book. Really unsettled his own uh, views, his own values, and led him to quit his job 
And now he, he often will walk through urban areas or rural areas and just photograph and interview the people he's talking with. Um, and I think he's just a good example of someone who went through a disruptive experience and could have easily slipped back into a kind of self-complacent, um, revived normalcy and didn't really learn, not really learn anything from that experience. But instead, he pushed into the discomfort and uh, made some tough choices and uh, tried to, to reorient his life based on uh, what he learned during that, that uh, financial crisis. Hey, if you guys are, um, you know, in Pennsylvania or anywhere nearby, um, Front Porch Republic is going to hold a conference on September 24th at Grove City College. And Chris Arnade is going to speak there. Um, the, the conference is The Art of Recovering Lost Goods. You can find it at FrontPorchRepublic.com. I like this, uh, this quote from your piece, um, Jeff. Uh, he quit his job as a result of his growing concerns regarding how Wall Street might be complicit in a culture and economy that denied dignity to people who lacked the right education or who found themselves living in the wrong regions or neighborhoods. Uh, we, um, we don't even think about very often the way that the whole system works for some people and against other people. And when we talk about things that are systemic, um, this observation about dignity, uh, I think, by um, by Chris um, Arnade is really, really helpful in the midst of all of this. So thank you for for bringing that forward in the Water Dipper this week at Front Porch Republic. Talk with us about education as the fullness of life. This is another um, piece that you highlight uh, this week in the Water Dipper. Yeah, this is about my friend Jeff Paulette, and I think he does a nice job. Um, maybe along the same veins as the, the essay we began with by the stories uh, of critiquing some of the decadence of institutional higher ed today, but also not giving up on the real deep goods that education can and should offer. And uh, saying, you know, one of the, the great joys of being a teacher is that even when we're in systems that are imperfect um, with sometimes misaligned in incentives, students want to learn. They want to ask these foundational questions about meaning and purpose and truth and beauty. And there's really such a great opportunity to, to guide students through these questions and to, to give them the tools they need to pursue them rigorously. And so it's a, it's a very hopeful essay, I think, about um, the, the deep human longing to learn and to understand the purpose of life. Um, and despite all of its flaws, the role that uh, educational institutions can still play in, in helping students pursue those questions. If I were to suggest to you that, um, that every, every child really is a little philosopher, and therefore every parent is really engaged in the task of raising little philosophers, how might that change our view of parenting and early education and education in general? Amen. Yeah. And I think, you know, remembering that philosopher just means a lover of wisdom drives that point home. And it's a great, uh, it's a huge calling that parents are given um, and, and then all adults in, the, in their interactions with children and young people to help foster and direct and train that love. So that um, so that they learn to love, you know, true wisdom and, and the good and the beautiful 
it's a it's a high calling for sure. Yeah, I'm um, I'm thinking a lot uh, about that. You know what what might parenting and grandparenting, frankly, for me at this point, um, look like if I started to treat my grandchildren, you know, as the little philosophers that they naturally are. Like, right? If you're a natural if you're a natural lover of beauty, goodness, and truth when you're little, like, how do I foster that in them? Um, and what kind of books do I read to them? And what kind of materials do I have available for them to, you know, explore in the, you know, in the cabinets and cupboards of my house and on my bookshelves. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about these things and I'm thinking that there are ways to be approaching this particularly, I mean, you know, like in college campuses, I mean, those are the future parents of the next generation. So if I could convince them, if I could convince you as a college professor to then in turn convince your students that what if we were to like view parenting, um, as you know, this as, as a different thing than we have thought about it in the past. It's not just about making sure my kid gets into the right competitive kindergarten. Like, right? right. I'm not going to drive them as a three-year-old to be sure that they're competitive by the time they're five, so that they can, you know, push other kids out of the way, so that they can get on this achievement-oriented ladder. Because all that ends is just like we just become those, I don't know, icky crabs that try to keep everybody lower in the pot than us, so that we can climb to the top. And that's not life. Like that's not that's that's not real life. I don't I know I don't have to argue that with you, but I do have to argue it with the culture writ large. So there you go. Amen. That's a good good question for the day. How, how to approach parenting is the uh, training of philosophers. Mm-hmm. Might might change our whole view of PhDs. There you go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Doctors of philosophy might be a whole different thing if we thought about it that way. Hey, Jeff, as always, thank you so very much. It's always a joy to be with you. You guys can check out what Jeff's writing at FrontPorchRepublic.com. Check out the 2022 conference while you're there. If you are in the region of Grove City College, it's going to be on September 24th and worth your time. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Today is supposed to be like the 4th of July in Ukraine. This is their Independence Day, but there's going to be no gatherings, no celebrations, no backyard barbecues. And in place of fireworks, uh, likely to be literal bombs bursting in air. And so let us be uh, praying that there, um, there is proof through the night that their flag is still there. Yeah, let us, uh, let's not just sing that for ourselves. Let, let, let us pray that for, for others, particularly the people of Ukraine today. It would seem now that the um, that the expectation is that this war is going to drag on. U.S. security assistance is going to shift toward a longer term campaign, which would likely keep um, U.S. military troops in Europe into the future um, as we are planning to spend an additional three billion dollars in aid designed to train and equip Ukrainian forces um, to fight for years to come. So these are not short term um, packages. These are long-term aid packages um, expected to be announced today. The money would fund contracts for drones and weapons and other equipment, not stuff we currently like already have produced and in our hands and on the sidelines, but new uh, new equipment. So contracts for uh, weapons and other equipment that wouldn't actually see the battlefront for a year or two, which means we expect this war to be going on. 
a year or two from now. To bring us uh, more, a half a year into the war in Ukraine and what it portends, Ruth Kramer is going to join us next from Mission Network News. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer is joining us from Mission News, Mission Network News, and apparently she has strained a hamstring, which I have now learned gained its meaning of the leg of an animal around the 15th century. And the string refers to the tendons. So I'm not even sure you have a hamstring because you're not an animal. But there you go. Ruth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. You know, limping into the last uh, meet of the season, an ugly win is still a win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, rectus femoris muscle would be the way maybe we should um, yeah, refer to what you've strained. Talk with us about Ukraine. Um, you guys have an article up um, today at Mission Network News. You guys can find that at just missionnews.org. It is uh, Independence Day in Ukraine. Talk with us about what's going on. Well, I think when we, we brought up the, the question of Independence Day and how that's going to be celebrated in Ukraine, the answer was it's not. Um, in this sense, you know, the sense of dread has been kind of hanging over the country like a, a miasma because of what they were concerned about with Russia um, threatening to attack uh, during this period. Um, you know, Kiev authorities actually banned mass gatherings in the capital through tomorrow because they were afraid that Russia would send missiles attacks in to destroy the celebrations. Um, it's also the six month mark of the of the war of the invasion in Ukraine. So you've got a lot of things where Russia has uh, a lot to gain and Ukraine has a lot to lose. And as a result, things are going to be very quiet. Um, Given all of the things that have been happening recently and uh, Ukraine actually sending warnings out to different members of of, uh, communities to clear the area, um, this is something where folks are kind of grieving what's happening in Ukraine with not being able to celebrate their their identity and their independence. Um, but they're also now turning to radio to get the latest information because uh, not only are you getting new information from the Ukrainian government coming in, you're having the warnings uh, for citizens to leave their, their uh, homes and their communities. Um, they also need encouragement and Transworld Radio's team has been on top of providing encouraging programming as well as staying on top of providing information and news that the uh, the listeners need to have. So what they're hearing right now is that their uh, radio reception, uh, folks that are contacting them to ask for more information, uh, folks that are new listeners to TWR Europe in, in Ukraine, um, has been exponentially increasing. And uh, the team at TWR also connects people to the local church. So while they aren't able to handle the the flow of uh, requests for information and um, more details about some of the programming that has been heard, they need to do, they can't handle all the follow-up themselves is what I'm trying to say. They connect people to the local church. And as a result, what you're seeing is the church is going strong. You're you're seeing mass baptisms. You're seeing uh, a lot of people turning their hearts to Christ because up until now, they haven't felt like they needed uh, Christ. They haven't felt like they needed a Savior. They haven't felt like they needed the hope that comes from the gospel. And um, with this situation that has been broiling for six months, people are desperate. They're afraid. And 
uh, the hope that comes from some of the programming that talks about the Word of God is so encouraging to people that they, they can't help but respond, and that's what they're seeing. Ruth, let's talk about um, 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 Afghanistan one year after the Taliban takeover. You guys have a number of articles up on this. Talk, talk with us in particular about Heart for Afghanistan and what's happening there um, in terms of support of Christians. Well, first of all, we want to, I guess, acknowledge the fact that uh, many Afghans feel betrayed by the abrupt withdrawal um, of, of American troops. Um, basically, there was a a framework that was created that people got used to, and then overnight everything changed. And the Taliban came in in the power vacuum, and life got really hard. And um, the U.S. response hasn't really been strong to make these Afghans feel like they had the security that they had prior to the withdrawal. So there are people that are feeling betrayed. They're angry. They're they're scared. Um, and they're turning to where they're going to to feel like they're getting some uh, comfort, some listening, uh, understanding, and um, some answers. Uh, oddly, and I say oddly because this is not where the world goes to find answers, but um, people are finding that hope in Jesus Christ. Our partner, Heart for Iran, um, actually had a call center that they operated. They just pulled out a helpline for people to call just for a listening ear. And it got flooded overnight by callers from Afghanistan who were just desperate, trying to get um, some comfort, some assurance that things were going to be okay, or even if not okay, that they were going to survive till tomorrow. And um, they, they, what Heart for Iran saw was a need for more than just a call line, and that's what uh, kind of burst the new ministry, Heart for Afghanistan. Um, and and so we're hearing different things. We're hearing um, that uh, that folks are not only calling for help, but they're also being connected to an underground church. And that has been very beneficial. Trauma counseling is now a new thing that has been added to the ministry. Um, and what they're asking for is for us to not only consider coming alongside and supporting them uh, financially, but also to be supporting them in prayer. Because uh, imagine being one of the counselors or one of the people answering the phone calls just day after day, you know, minute after minute for the same kinds of really, really hard stories that you and I are talking about now. Um, you get drained. You get discouraged. It's just overwhelming the need that is coming in. So be praying for those who are actually being the hands and feet of Christ that God would renew their strength and that he would give them supernatural wisdom and kindness uh, in being able to answer some of the questions that are coming in and that those that are calling in would receive the seeds of hope that are being planted uh, and that they would come to know Christ, even though they know that the Taliban regime is looking for Christians and trying to remove and silence the Christian voice. Um, just be praying. The situation is very difficult. Uh, we do have other partners through Global Catalytic Ministries that are kind of trying to connect people and getting them out of some of the really difficult areas. Um, and that's, as you can imagine, that would be a very high security situation. We can't get into too many details there. But there's an underground, kind of an underground railroad getting people out of the really difficult areas and putting them in safe houses. So be praying for ministries there because this is one of the really huge challenges right now. I'm going to um, link these two conversations because um, President Zelensky of Ukraine has suggested that, you know, he's he's sensing a fatigue, a global fatigue already related to the war in Ukraine in terms of other people, you know, wanting to 
turn to something uh, more new and more interesting. Afghanistan is just a year into um, its new reality under Taliban control. Um, And what I'm reading here from, again, a quote uh, at Mission Network News from Global Catalytic Ministries, a lot of people have forgotten about Afghanistan and the decimation that has happened since the American pullout. Um, How do we, I think this is a broad, this is a big, broad question, Ruth, but how do we like retain interest and vigilance and concern um, in places around the world. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the, all of the, of, of the places that you and I have talked about. And I mean, we haven't talked about Yemen in a long time, but we used to talk about Yemen fairly frequently and, and the problems in Yemen have not gone away. Um, the challenges that people face in, um, in Myanmar, the, I mean, just on and on the, the Uyghurs, like we haven't, you and I have not had opportunity to talk about the Uyghurs in recent months, but that situation has not improved at all. How do we, I mean, it's impossible to stay focused on everything all the time. I mean, that's, that's God alone, but I guess I'm asking, you know, how do you at Mission Network News kind of keep, keep focused and this heartfelt, genuine concern for people in these dire circumstances all over the world? One of the things that I encourage people to do is pray into the the needs of the world and ask God to reveal where he has he wants you to respond specifically pay attention to the stories with which you resonate there they, not everybody's going to resonate with every single thing some people have a heart for kids issues and and education and some people love everything that's coming out of India um, and so their attention immediately snaps to these stories out of India other people are really interested in things in the Middle East those are the things with which you resonate and then ask God to really narrow that focus and then be obedient because when you ask God to show me where your heart is and where you want me to be effective he will answer that prayer but then you need to be obedient. So take the first step. And and we're not talking about cheap grace. When you pray about these kinds of things, really be earnest in the intent and say, Lord, reveal to me where you want me to be most effective. Um, and and I, I think you're going to find that you will suddenly realize all of these stories in this particular area uh, resonate with you. You're, you're interested. Um, and then invest in that. The more you invest in that cause in that area, in that region, um, um, the more you care, you keep investing. And the more you invest, the more you care. Um, so, you know, the prayer is a, is a personal investment. Um, the resources is a personal investment. The advocacy is a personal investment. And then you, the, you, you, can, you can make a difference for that one cause. You can make a difference for that ministry. And many hands make light work. If everybody does a little bit, we make it a bigger difference together. That's so good. I appreciate that we're a global body of believers and that different ones of us um, have a resonance with different places and people, groups, and concerns. And so thank you for bringing us all the stories from everywhere. We're going to continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News here in just a moment, and we're going to turn our concern to the people of Sri Lanka. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners. Well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Whatever you do, just don't look. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, um, bring us up to date on what is happening with the people in Sri Lanka. Well, our partners out of Sri Lanka have it, – it's, it's a – it's a good news against the backdrop of some really dark stuff that's happening. Um, the shift in what's happening in, in the stability of the country has been kind of an overnight turn. Um, and right now the country's in talks with the IMF to try to get a bailout package. But everything is so uh, uncoordinated right now that uh, the country is trying to prevent itself from sliding into becoming a failed state. Um, the worst ever economic meltdown was uh, triggered has triggered actually a political crisis and it's almost that question of uh, chicken or egg which one triggered which thing um, because they were both kind of sliding down the hill at the same time um, but after uh, massive protests ousted the president last month um, he fled the country and uh, then the country has been in turmoil trying to figure out what to do with uh, its government and try to restabilize um, I think what we're hearing now is that the president will probably return to Sri Lanka within the next week or so. Um, but from there, nobody really knows. It's a constitutional crisis. They're going to have a lot of work to do in order to try to get some funding to be able to uh, allow their citizens to have access to basic supplies, clean water, fuel, food and medicine. Um, it, it's complete, <clears throat> excuse me, complete upheaval right now in the country. So uh, our partners at International Media Ministries have been very concerned with uh, the stories that they're getting from their partners out of Sri Lanka. What's interesting is that in Sri Lanka, um, they're working on translating some of the work from International Media Ministries, the Open the Gospels Project, and they're um, trying to put the Heritage Project into languages that are regionally important. What's interesting about the Heritage Project is that focuses on the history of the early church and the lessons that we can take today from the early church. So when you're talking about the period of maybe um, early church fathers, you know, that may be European, you wonder what the connection is to Sri Lanka. Um, but the lessons that we have heard that you and I have actually talked about before have been very uh, relevant to today's things where you have uh, past experiences with, say, pandemic and how do you deal with uh, government restrictions um, as the government tries to deal with something like a global pandemic. Or you've got um, uh, you know, economic meltdowns in different countries. You've got uh, invasion you know, in your country. And all of those kinds of lessons uh, were experienced by the early church and are written down for us to understand today and put into the Heritage Project, which is a video series on, uh, you know, how then shall we live? Um, and so this has been very interesting just to see, again, um, the function of the global body of Christ working together, sharing resources to be able to encourage and edify and educate 
um, the next generation in the body so that we are well equipped to be salt and light in our communities, regardless of this difficult situation. I love um, the story that you have uh, posted about the collaboration among a number of ministries in uh, in Southeast Asia to translate the Word of God into languages, um, you know, to reach currently unreached people groups. And I'm just often reminded when I read your reporting at Mission News um, of how big the body of Christ is, of all the good things happening around the world, of all the ways in which God is working actively through the hearts and hands and resources of his people, and that we accomplish more when we are intimately knit together, connected to one another, and um, and working to do real good um, where there is real pain and real suffering and real need. And you keep us connected to um, the body of Christ. You're like the you like you get to be like the sinew of um, uh, of the body in terms of keeping us connected, and I just wanted to say thank you for that. Um, Myanmar is a place, Ruth, that you and I have talked about in the past, um, and I know that there are really sensitive security concerns in um, in the conversations about how believers are even still able to be there, let alone um, thriving in ministry. And so um, tell us a story, if you will. Tell us a story in your own words, from your own perspective, about what's happening in Myanmar. Well, Myanmar is uh, under a state of emergency. I think they've been under state of emergency now since 2021, uh, since the coup. And um, they keep it, the, the military junta, military leaders, are in charge of the country and really not relinquishing that control. I mean, there was some hope that it was going to be a move towards democracy after the coup, and that really hasn't happened. Um, and and a lot of times the military looks at anybody who doesn't fall into line uh, as an enemy uh, of maybe national security. Uh, a lot of times the people that are considered enemies of national security are the Christians, um, and I really can't explain necessarily why that is, because the Christians just want to be good citizens. Um, they may resist certain types of things where you might see um, a demand for, you know, a loyalty that isn't theirs to demand. But by and large, the Christians seem to be in the crosshairs and have been in Myanmar for a long time. So this ministry partner um, has been disrupted. I mean, the work that he's been doing has been disrupted. Uh, his son was arrested and tortured for his faith uh, for uh, several months. Um, he's out now, and they're trying to get him out of the country. His daughter, this this uh, partner's daughter, is actually out of the country going to college in, an, in another area. Um, and the ministry is trying to remove the, the, the couple, this ministry partner and his wife, uh, uh, quickly. Um, so there's there's a situation where they are constantly under watch. They're constantly under threat. They know there's going to be a point where they were, they're going to be arrested uh, because the government doesn't like the work that he's been doing, which really is to train and develop new church leaders. So he is training the few who are going to train the many. Uh, he is training the few who are going to take the gospel to the many in Myanmar, and the government doesn't like that. They see that as a sort of an insurrection, and they want to silence him because well, the work that they're doing is effective because it, it not only involves the gospel, but it involves, again, uh, 
encouraging and empowering the body of Christ to shine. Um, and, and I know that Myanmar's military wouldn't describe it that way, but that in fact is what is happening. So you're seeing more and more people coming to Christ. You're seeing churches growing and they are the underground church. Um, uh, because of just, you know, of everything that's going on with the persecution that is happening and the pressure that's coming down. Um, and so there's a lot of things that are going on that are, uh, involving a lot of high security. Um, be praying for the ministry leaders in, in Myanmar, not just connected to this one ministry, but also those who are being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the country. Um, it's not particularly new. So people who've had experience with this are kind of relying on the things they remember from the past because, unfortunately, there's a long history there of persecution. Um, but also be praying that they, they remain bold, that their voices aren't silenced because of the past history of what they've seen God do in his character for the people of Myanmar. Mm. I'm, uh, I'm thinking about our conversations we've had in the past here with David Eubank um, from Free Burma Rangers and just— we're just reminded just to lift up individuals and their families and ministries and efforts, not only in Burma, but uh, in Myanmar, but around the world um, where God is seeking to advance the gospel and um, set people at liberty. So Ruth, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We hugely value um, your ministry partnership. So thank you for all that you do at Mission Network News. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? And how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? Where in the word are you today? All of these are good questions as we enter into this day that the Lord has made. But let's start there. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is it. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's a gift. It's a grace. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. Let's make the most of it as ambassadors of the King and the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. It's a privilege to spend this time with you. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.